Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. This past week I was uh, reading a book and it was about these many faithful servants that God had used throughout history, just um, just kind of retelling much of their story. And part of the subtitle of the book was Faithful, Flawed, and Fruitful. And the flaws of some of these great saints of history are significant. I mean, we're talking about grave sexual immorality, murder, um, great men of God who have foul mouths. I mean, there, there's some serious flaws of people that many of us would recognize names of throughout history. And it caused me to have to spend a few moments just pondering kind of the question of, God, what will my legacy be? Earlier when we were singing there about standing on the promises, um, my middle one, Josiah, was not only standing on my feet, he was more or less jumping on them. Um, and it was a fitting moment, a reminder that all of us have people um, who've gone before us that you and I stand upon them. Um, it's a, a kind of a anthem that's used to describe our moments specifically through church history that we stand taller because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. But as even as my son was jumping on my feet and we were sing, singing that song and just kind of the realistic application of the fact of, man, where am I leading my boys to? Have you thought about that? Like, where are you leading your family to? Like, where are you leading your friends, your classmates, your roommates to? Where, where, where is the Sunday school class maybe that you teach? Where are you leading them to? Where, what are they standing on? And the question we have to ask is, where am I standing? And so, as I dealt with that subtitle of the book, Faithful, Flawed, and Fruitful, I just kept saying, God, I don't want my life to matter. I know that um, I'm given to many things. God, there's many great weaknesses in my life. And and when I think about so many of the weaknesses in my life, they usually come back to a single root, pride. You're going to see in a moment Proverbs 16 and 18. And it just says this anthem, pride goes before destruction, an arrogant spirit before the fall. And I don't know how maybe you... Have, like the image there, you've strutted in here today, or you strut into work each week, or you strut into school, or you strut into DQ. I don't know where it is that you strut into, and you think that you're impressive because of what you've done, or where you've been, or who you are, the titles, or accolades, or the financial figures, or the label that comes prior to your name of people. I don't know how it is, those things that impact you, but I want all of us to hear and know today from the story of the Moabites in Isaiah 15 and 16 that pride indeed goes before destruction, a haughty or arrogant spirit before the fall. It's interesting the word that's used there about this destruction or fall and somehow sometimes we really mess things up. The story of Moabites is a messed up one. Um, in fact, there's some scandalous stories in Scripture. The story of the Moabites' history of how they began is one of the most scandalous. Because of the audience today, I'm going to use uh, maybe just some general descriptions. But the land is Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a family there by the name of Lot and his wife. And he's got two daughters and some other family. And 
God's going to destroy the city because of the great abominations there. All these things that, that have come up before God. And Lot and his family are finally the angel of the Lord takes and pulls them out of the city. And as they're running back, Lot's wife, do you remember what she did? She looked back and she became what? A pillar of salt. Genesis 19 later records that now Lot is left with simply his two daughters and there's seemingly nobody else around or that's their thought anyway. And they make this 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 heinous plan that they're going to get their dad drunk. And one night one of them goes in to be with dad. The next night the other daughter goes in to be with dad. And the text simply records that Lot didn't know when they came in and he didn't know when they went out. To make it even more scandalous, both daughters are now pregnant by dad. And it says in verse 37 of Genesis 19 that the oldest daughter gives birth to a son and they name him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. That's the, kind of the background history of this people. And it's kind of, I don't know if you've ever been in those relationships. Any of you, maybe you're in one now, kind of that on again, off again status. That seems to be kind of the status that Moab has without with Israel, right? Because they're connected because Lot was the nephew of Abraham. But there's this kind of connection, and yet there's oftentimes when they're contentious, fighting over lands, and there's disagreement about worship and all of these things. And so we see all of this, this lane before us. And then comes the day, this great pride of the people of Moab. And the reminder is this, the first point we kind of show is this. The foolishness of pride is revealed by the fact that our gods and our best defense are helpless against God's judgment. Isaiah 15 reminds us that no matter how great you think your little G gods are, or how tough you are, how strong you are, or I don't know what it is, adjectives you use to define yourself, it does not matter because the text reminds us today that Moab was really tough, and yet they were helpless against God's judgment look if you would beginning verse one it's an oracle it says again that we have this prophetic message from the lips of god's messenger isaiah concerning moab right so you see it here the land of moab and he's going to call out a couple of the, of the key cities he says there's R, and then he says it was just laid waste in a night moab is undone list the people are wailing they're moaning because Kerr. again we have another major city and here in the land of Moab, and again, questions are, where are these cities exactly located? But nonetheless, these are some major cities. And it says, again, this one is laid waste in a single night. Moab is undone. So its chief cities, its most prominent places in a night, literally, almost instantaneously, are overrun. And there's judgment that's coming upon the Moabites. Look further, what it says there in verse 2. It says that, he has gone up to the temple and to Dibon to the high places to weep over Nebo and over Mediba, Moab wells. On every head is baldness, every beard is shorn. And so they've gone up to the temple, right? To Deban or Dibon, depending on how you pronounce that right there. And it says literally that was the place of worship, worship, worship. That was the place of worship for their god Chemosh. And this God that they worshipped, right, and it was often throughout many of the people of Canaan, and that's where, again, the people of Israel have come, but lands and people like the Moabites around them had a, a really abominable practice, and it was this. Is that oftentimes to please the gods, little g-gods that they worshipped, they would literally sacrifice their own children. Listen to how the text records this, Second Kings chapter 3. 
when the king of Moab, they are in a bad shape. They're in the midst of a battle and they're being defeated. And it says in verse 27, then he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place and he offered him for a burnt offering on the wall. Later in 2 Kings chapter 16, we read about one of the kings of Israel and it says this simply about him. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable, again, notice it's practices, this is ongoing, of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And so the reality is these people are involved in despicable practices. They're burning their own children. They are offering these great sacrifices to their God. And the reality is most of us probably aren't offering our children literally physically in some way on an altar, giving them up to die to please some gods. But I have to ask the question of you and me. How might we be, though, in other ways? Leveraging our family, our time, our finances to serve the gods that maybe we're after, or maybe this is just my own heart, so maybe this is my own internal struggle, that I want my sons to have prestige, I want them to get into the accredited schools, I want them to have the right degrees, I want them to prosper. I mean, some of these things, in essence, they are good, right? These are not necessarily bad that we want our children to do well, but we've got to be careful when we're after pleasing these other gods. That somehow, if that success happens and it affirms who I am as a father, it somehow creates within me this great sense of pride because that must mean I've done really well if my kids are doing really well. And the danger is we begin to sacrifice them and our families for anything and everything to please those gods we're after. And so I have to ask myself constantly the question is this. Do I define success for my children and maybe for this church the same way that God defines it in his word? And it often reveals the gods that I'm after. Well, the text tells us further again, not only is it the gods that we often in our pride think are enough to protect us, they're not. Listen to what it says in verse 4. Therefore, it says, the armed men of Moab cry aloud, His soul trembles. Even the most powerful, strong warriors of the Moabites, when God brings His judgment, they're nothing. They're nothing. No matter how strong you think you are, no matter how tough you think you are, no matter, again, the armed men of Moab cry aloud, this is their great warriors, and they are terrified when this day and time comes. And the question maybe we need to ask is, well, how does God feel about this? What does God think about what's happening here to them? Is, is it like, ah, you get what you deserve? Listen to what the text says. Again, there's some question about it, but it, it appears that it, it it's God's heart being revealed either through Isaiah the prophet or Isaiah saying this is how God feels about it. So nonetheless, it's pointing to God's heart in the midst of judgment upon these Moabites. Listen to what it says. My heart cries out for Moab. God is broken over the fact that people are rejecting him. Jeremiah, listen to the prophet Jeremiah says, or Ezekiel, sorry, Ezekiel 33 and 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would, the wicked would turn from his way and live. Maybe my God might be whispering to you today, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why would you die? O house of Israel. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. You see that there? 
I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But God desires that you and I would turn back, that we would repent, that we would return back to Him. Some of you this morning, God is calling you back and and you've got to fight against the fact that your pride, even in that moment, says, well, what might people think about me if I go forward and acknowledge something or if if something changes about me? What are people at work going to think this week? We've got to battle our pride in this, even the turning, right? Our pride wars against it because it says there's something weak about us. In fact, maybe you're being here today, maybe in essence, a declaration that you already acknowledge your weakness. You you could be other places, but in fact, you've come to gather and worship a king who died for you because you realize that you're not sufficient in yourself. You're in desperate need of salvation and forgiveness that only the king Jesus could bring. And God is here and he is he is is his heart is broken. His heart cries out for the people of Moab. Well, look what happens with him further. Not only are they the mightiest warriors trembling and running in fear, this judgment begins to happen upon the land. Their vegetation will fail. The greenery is no more. And listen to this, man. This is, this is, this is, um, very practical and very humbling. Therefore, he says, listen to this. The abundance they have gained and what they have laid up. This is what they've worked for all their lives. This is what they've leveraged everything for. They carry away over the brook of the willows. And here's the imagery of what's happening. Everything is now being destroyed. The enemies are coming into the land. Everything they've spent time leveraging for and sacrificing for, it's all gone. And literally, it's a people that are running for their lives with just a very few possessions. And I want to ask you, are you leveraging your life and and spending your lives in such a way for things that are temporary, that can be gone in a moment? Pride says those things will always satisfy. It is always enough. And yet we're reminded from the people of Moab how temporary it is for everything that we may be trying to gain and build up and lay up for ourselves. In a moment, there was nothing left. And literally, they've got just a few things and they are running for their lives. Let us be warned. As Job said in Job 1 and 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall what? return it's the adage right you bring nothing in this world and you'll take nothing out i know i've shared it before but i never forget hearing uh i think it's stepbrother half brother of elvis presley when i heard him preach um he was shared he said they often ask me how much did elvis leave behind and he said i always tell them he left it all behind he left it all behind no matter how big your empire is today, how how vast you've grown your kingdom, the reminder is we will leave it all behind. Beloved, work for the things that are beyond this life. Live your life in such a way that your life will matter, that your children and grandchildren, that others who stand in your shoes or on your shoes or on your shoulders, live your life that points them to Christ and not the kingdoms of this world. They will come to nothing. So what happens when we become humbled or broken 
is that maybe like the people of Moab, we often seek shelter. When humbled or broken, we often seek shelter. Isaiah is going to do his best Julie Chan moment, and he's going to eavesdrop on the remaining house guest. There are not many left in Moab. Basically, everybody's running for their life, and there's a few folks that are left, a few governmental figures that are still remaining, and they're beginning to say, what are we going to do that this thing has come upon our lives? Like, maybe some of you are wondering that. Like, what are we going to do, Blake, where I am now? What do I do? What is the response to where I am? Listen to what happens here. They say in verse 1, send the lamb to the root of the land. Hey, listen, we're trying to find some type of refuge, some type of asylum with the people of Israel. Listen, look what he says here. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. Literally, it's as if someone came and just took the nest of a bird, boom, and just threw it out of the tree. That's the great people of Moab. Listen to what they asked for. Several things here in verse 3 of Isaiah 16. Give counsel, they say. Grant justice. Literally, they're asking the government, right? Make some type of decision for us on our behalf. Make your shade like night at the height of noon. They're saying, literally, we are in the, like under the, the noon, the new noon sun. There's no, there's no refuge and there's no hope. So listen, guys, we need you to come in and provide some type of shelter for us. Look further. They says, they said, shelter the outcast. Do not reveal the fugitive. They said, now, hey, listen, if you take us in, don't turn your back on us. If you take us in, don't turn us over to those enemies, the fugitives, uh, those who are coming against us. The fugitives are seeking refuge. Don't turn us over. Let the outcast further, verse 4 of Isaiah 16, let the outcast of Moab sojourn among you be a shelter to them from the destroyer. And the question kind of comes is, what would be the people of Israel's response? And it's even believed possibly it's kind of a, a difficult moment here to translate exactly who's speaking, but it's likely that God is, again, stepping in to speak, to respond to the people of Moab. And I think it's a good one to us. The offer to all of us who are prideful and yet realize it in that moment of brokenness is come and humble yourself. Come to the king. Listen to these words from the word. When, he says, the text there in verse 4, when the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has banished from the land. Now we know from Isaiah chapter 9 when we heard those words, to us a son is born, to us a child is what? Given, right? And the government shall be upon his shoulders. They shall call him wonderful what? Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of and of the rule of his government, verse 7 of Isaiah 9, of the rule of his government and of his peace, there shall be no what? There'll be no end. So when we hear the words that there's going to be no more oppression, that destruction will cease, we know that it's pointing to someone greater. That there's got to be someone that can come on the scene who can bring eternal peace for everyone. So we know that it's pointing beyond anything and anyone, and the people of Judah are saying, hey, listen, if you're looking to us for help, we got to tell you we're not the strength. It's God. The hope is not in us. The hope is in Him that's coming. Look what it says. Here, listen to what it says about who's coming. 
Then it says, verse 5 of Isaiah 16, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love. Listen to his, this is his rule. This king that's coming, who's going to rule, who's going to end oppression, who's going to cause destruction to cease. It says his throne will be established in steadfast love. On it will sit in faithfulness. The mark of the coming kingdom and the coming king is never ending love. It's a love that will never end. A kindness that will never end. And, and listen, now think about this contextually for a moment. This is the people of Moab. This is the people that are practicing the things that God calls abominable. These detestable practices. They're sacrificing their children to these false gods. They're worshiping false gods. They're living for here and now. They've gone against the people of God at times when the people of God needed refuge or asylum. They, they, didn't, they didn't take them in. And yet here is God offering to these people grace and mercy. Steadfast love. Reminded me of Paul's words to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 5. Look what he says, verse 10. Let's just, just for a moment. For if, he says, while we were what? Enemies. We were enemies. So you may hear the people of Moab and you think that's a long way off. But in fact, Paul says that, you know what? We also own that enemy status. We wear that hat. That labels on the back of our shoulders. For while we were enemies, look what he says here. We, we were, the enemies were what? Reconciled to God, reconciled to this holy God. Enemies brought to peace with God. This holy, perfect God. Enemies which all of us are, are in opposition to God. All of us here today are in our pride. All of us are seeking our own kingdom. Let's just be honest. Let's own it. And yet us, people like me, people like you, can be reconciled to a holy God. You can be brought back into relationship with the holy God. And the question is, how? Look what the text says. By what? The death of his son. The only way to be reconciled today is through the death of his son. It's the only way to be brought peace with God. It's through the son of God. Why? Because the son of God. Here's the amazing thing. Paul tells the church at Corinth that this God who had never sinned, Jesus, who had never sinned, became sin for us. Jesus. Became your sin on the cross and therefore became God's enemy. That by faith you might become God's child. This king sits on a throne of steadfast love. And his faithfulness never ends. So that you today are not trying to be good enough to earn it. Today you're not here trying to please this God by being good enough. By singing enough right songs. Of giving enough of your offerings. Of coming to church enough. Of stopping cussing or whatever your rule is, right? I don't know what your thing is you're trying to do that somehow now God will accept you. There's only one reason why God will accept any of us today because we are by status and name enemies. The only way to be reconciled is through the Son, by faith in Him, by trust in the name of Jesus Christ alone. God credits His perfect life to you. That's the hope for Moab. And that's the hope for us. Come and submit and surrender to this 
king. And unfortunately, it's going to get challenging. Why? Because pride goes before what? Destruction. This offer of salvation is made to the people of Moab. This offer of salvation is, is made to you and I. That we can be forgiven, you can be cleansed of anything and everything you've ever thought, ever did, anywhere you've ever been, anyone you've ever been with, anything that you've ever partaken of. That it does not honor and glorify God. God says that you can be forgiven of all of that. The people of Moab, listen, you want asylum, you want to be protected, then come and submit under this king. Listen to the response of the people of Moab. Verse 6 of Isaiah 16. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. These people think, guess what? They think they are sufficient enough. They think they're good enough. And you're asking, well, what did that pride look like in their lives, Blake? Like, what for the people of Moab, what did that actually look like? Jeremiah 48 is kind of a also a parallel about the people of Moab. And so briefly, I just want to show you just something for a moment to help explain what might their pride have looked like in their lives. Look at me, verse 7 of Jeremiah 48. 4. Again, we're, we're speaking here contextually about the people of Moab. You see that there in verse 4? So they're speaking about the people of Moab. So look further with me. Verse 4 there, but now down to verse 7 of Jeremiah 48. 4, he says, Because you trusted in... You trusted in what? Your works and what? And your treasures. That's pride, man. You're trusting that you are enough. You're trusting in your own works, your own good deeds. And the prophet, listen, he's going to tell us later, the prophet Isaiah is going to say, our, our righteousness is but like what? It's like filthy rags. He says, listen, there is no way to satisfy this God, but that is pride. It says, you know what? I hear the offer of salvation in Christ. I realize I'm God's enemy, and the only way to be reconciled is through the Son. But you know what? I think I'll still try to do it on my own somehow. I'll just put a little bit more in this plate. I'll just keep being a little bit better person. These people, their pride is they are trusting in their works and their treasures. And listen to this. This is... This is Look what he says here. He trusts in his arrogance, his pride, his insolence. Again, verse 6 of Isaiah 16. In his, look at the notes here, this idle boasting, he is not right. This boasting indicates that they have a desire to invent or devise their own ways. And here's the reality, guys. Pride is a dream world. It's fantasy. It's not real. That's what it is. He says, literally, their pride, they think, listen, we've got all these great vineyards. We've got this great land. We've got this big, mighty army. We are so secure. We are so well-to-do. And he says, listen, I want you to know that your pride is literally idle boasting. You are just inventing or devising things to make yourself feel better. But that's not reality. Here's reality. It's faith in the Son of God. And the hard part about that is, according to Hebrews 11... Faith is not being sure of what, or faith is being sure of what we hope, of what we do not what? See. And that's the challenge. Because pride, listen, this idle boasting, this devising of our own kingdom, we can see all that. 
We can see the building of our own kingdom. And oftentimes it's challenging to realize through only the eyes of faith that this is about a real king and a real kingdom. But listen, beloved, as we pray, thy kingdom come, it is coming. So be careful today if you are living your life for the kingdom that you can see because it is indeed temporary The eternal kingdom is the one that's seen through the eyes of faith as you look to God's only son. And the people of Moab don't see it because of their pride. And pride goes before what? Destruction. Pride goes before the fall. What's the response? Well, we have three therefores. Verse 7, verse 9, and 11. Look at this real quickly. Therefore. Here's the response. Again, these are just interpretive words to help you realize What's the outcome of them rejecting Christ? What's, what's going to be the outcome? Three, therefores. Verse 7, verse 9, verse 11. Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab. Let everyone wail. Look what he says further there. He says, the fields, verse 8, listen to the judgment that's coming. The fields are in languish. The vine, right? The vine is being struck down, all right? Look further with me just for a moment. Um, and joy and gladness, he says, are taken away from the fruitful field. The vineyards, there's no songs are sung. There's no cheers or raids, right? The wine presses, there's nothing there. Listen, there's been judgment that's now come upon the land. God has brought judgment to the land and it has lost all their joy. Why? Because that's where their kingdom was. See, we often recognize where our kingdom is. Why? Because of the things that bring most distraughtness. That's not the right way to say it, but anyway, you catch me, right? They bring about this, this... When... The things that mess with the kingdom that we're trying to build happen, man, it oftentimes wrecks us. Emotionally, mentally, everything. He says, listen, I want you to know that's what's going to happen because of the pride of this people. Look further, another therefore. I guess I worked on it a little bit earlier. See my notes. There we go. Verse 9, therefore. This is profound. I'll be honest with you. Verse 9 and verse 11 is profound to me. Because God steps in and speaks, right? We, we might hear again, and this, this is what's challenging me, it's challenging my heart. Oftentimes when people don't do me the right way, and if something happens, I think, ha! God, what you deserve. You're looking at me like you never do that, okay? That's what you're like, oh my goodness, you're up. Right? Okay, so, for me and the one other person here that's maybe ever done that, or maybe I'm just talking about a friend today, a guy I know. Anyway, all right, I'm going to backtrack. But listen, we often love it sometimes when the people who have come against us fail. And the question is, will that be God's heart? And this is what went bam against me this week. Look what he says. Therefore, I weep what? With the weeping of Jazer. God weeps with them. God's broken over their pride. Look, look further with me. Look at this. The next therefore, verse 11. Therefore, God says again, listen. My inner parts moan. God is broken. The heart of God is broken over the fact that these people are refusing His Son. And so I had to ask, how often does my heart break over the people that I consider sometimes my enemies? When's the last time that your heart and my heart broke for the people that are pridefully rejecting God's Son, who are opposing your rule? And and listen, this is not easy stuff. We ourselves must come and submit to Christ because this power to love them like God only comes from God. 
You can't create this on your own. And that's why when I read this week, it struck me so much because that's not my heart so often. I often look to get even with my wife. I often look to get even with someone on the basketball court. Man, you don't call it foul on me. Next play, baby, I'm ready. That's often not my heart, and yet it's the heart of God for those who are rejecting His Son. He still loves them. He's not given up on them. Who have you given up on? Some of you have given up on yourself. You forgot how great this God is. This is a God who comes back from the dead. And then this final little epitaph. Verse 14 of Isaiah 16. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, in three years, somewhere maybe the period of 715 B.C., the Assyrians will come in and take over the Moabites. So it's quite possible this is what he's alluding to. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, in three years, like the years of a hired worker, he's saying it's fixed, it's set, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt in spite of, listen to this, in spite of all this great multitude. Be careful today you hear this text and think that's not me. Moab thought the same thing. And those who remain, he says, will be very few and feeble. Beloved, pride goes before destruction. An arrogant spirit before the fall. I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you about today that needs to change in your life. Maybe it's the fact that you've never confessed your need of Christ for salvation. You've never bowed your heart in life before Him. I compel you today to come. He's a gracious and loving King. For others of you, you are followers of Christ. And yet there are things in your life, just like there are things in my life and my heart, that do not honor God. Be careful if your pride says, everybody's got stuff, Blake. That's not the heart of God. God calls all of us to repent and to return, to turn back, to turn back, to turn to the Son. What is God calling you in the midst of the prideful areas of your own life to repent and acknowledge your need of Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, may your Spirit do the work. May you change us, Lord. I pray, God, that you would Help us not live. I pray there would be none here, God, who would live like the Moabites and hear the offer of salvation and yet reject it because they think that their own work or treasures are enough. Today, open our eyes to see how temporary the things of this world are, how foolish our pride is, and how desperately we need your son, Jesus. God, move our hearts to repent and to return to our first love. I pray it in the name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, 
Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.